This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. You're in the book of Acts. We're going to continue this morning our series from this book that I've entitled Gospel Power, Global Impact. And that certainly is the testimony of this book. Again, Garrett and I had the opportunity to be at that prayer retreat advanced this weekend uh, with other dads. And God did some special things in both of our hearts. And uh, Brother Bob, we could just stand up here and talk about what God did in those services, those prayer times. But one of the poignant reminders for me was that God intends for everything His church does to be energized by prayer. After 50 years, praise the Lord, this testimony remains strong. But guess what? we are only as strong as our prayer lives are strong. Because God said, I will build my church. And we have to let him build the church through us. And our praying indicates how much we believe it is really God working through us or if it's up to us. Do you remember what we learned about the early church in Acts 2.42? After the church received the Holy Spirit, multitudes are saved at Pentecost. The Bible tells us this, Acts 2.42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in what? Prayers. Steadfast in prayer. Now please understand that the order in Scripture is significant. At the same time, as we look at this verse, all of those things really in this passage are of equal importance. They're all listed as what the church needs to be doing regularly. But sometimes, even things are listed last because... That's what needs to ring in our ears when we get done reading the passage. And I think that's the case here with Acts 2 and verse 42. What I want to share with you this morning is just some highlights God spoke to me about uh, this weekend, messages uh, that I heard. Uh, but I uh, was impressed of the Lord that this is a good time in this series to go back and just give an overview as we move forward in the study, an overview of what the book of Acts teaches us about the need for the church to pray. And what we'll see through the rest of Acts in our study, that everything that the early church and leaders did was augmented by prayer. Everything. You're not going to find an exception to that. Now, the early church was simply following the example of the Lord. Consider this. In his earthly ministry, Jesus was always praying. Always. Now, we get to see a lot of the detail, what he did in those events during his days of ministry, but what was Jesus often doing at night or early in the morning before that day of ministry? Sometimes all night, what was he doing? He was praying. He was always praying. In his earthly ministry, Jesus regularly taught about prayer. 
And he's taught us to pray. In his earthly ministry, or I'm sorry, in his heavenly ministry, Jesus is still, in a sense, praying for us. But at the right hand of the Father, he is interceding for us. He ever liveth to intercede, the Bible says. Prayer is important. D.L. Moody said this, every great work of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. That's a powerful statement. Before fire fell from heaven on Mount Carmel, what was Elijah doing? What was he doing? He was praying. Before the Holy Spirit powerfully came on the church in, those, in that, early, that early part of the book of Acts, what were the believers doing? They were praying. So as we celebrate 50 years of ministry here at Good News and, and recount all the great things that have, ha have happened here, it comes down to this. Good News has been a praying church. If there have been difficulties, and there have been difficulties, those difficulties probably stem from folks that weren't praying. And if it got resolved, if it got fixed, and if this church healed, no doubt that too was bathed in prayer. So our future and effectiveness will not be defined by the leadership here, our facilities, or even our serving together. Our future and effectiveness will be defined by our praying privately and together. So let's take a survey look at prayer in the book of Acts. I've entitled the message today, The Prayer Life of the Early Church. What did that look like? What defined that? And again, I'm borrowing these points uh, from a message that I heard uh, this weekend uh, from a friend of mine, what a blessing Tom, Pastor Tom Alvis was. Uh, I'm rewording some things and then adding uh, two as in my own study of the book of Acts. But here's what we see about the prayer life of the early church. First of all, the early church prayed habitually. They prayed habitually. It was their habit. Now, how do we know that? Again, Acts 1 and verse 14, if you want to follow along. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplications with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. They continued with one accord in prayer. Everyone involved. I've already quoted Acts 2.42 where they continued steadfastly in prayer. Look at Acts chapter 3 and notice verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. So daily the church had a time when they met up there. Now it was in conjunction with when the Jewish people would meet up there to pray, but now these who, who personally knew Messiah, the, the uh, Lord who died for them on the cross and rose from the grave, they're up there together praying. When the problem arose with the widows, remember Acts chapter 6? The Spirit led the church to choose deacons to serve those needs, those widows. But here's what the apostles said. We will give ourselves continually to prayer. 
and to the ministry of the word. They understood nothing was to get in the way of prayer. For sake of time, we can't continue to follow the habitual pattern through the book, but one thing becomes very clear. If we break it down, the early church prayed all the time. They prayed everywhere, and they prayed about everything. I believe the Lord would be honored. Prayer just acknowledges Him. But the, prayer, but the Lord would be honored if this was a church. Pastor McCain, where you're going, if the church where, you're, where you're, you pastor. If prayer is just a spontaneous matter. Somebody shares a need, let's pray. Somebody shares a praise, let's pray. That ought to be our heart. Now is it true that they prayed everywhere, about everything. Well, in Acts chapter 10, verse 9, Peter is at the home of Simon the Tanner in Joppa. And here's what we read. And he went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. What was he doing up there? Why, why at that time? Well, the scripture text tells us they were preparing a meal. It's very possible as he was on that rooftop, he smelled food being prepared. But he goes up there to do what? There's some time before food, I'm going to pray. You'll remember that it was during that time that he sees the vision of the cloth coming down from heaven, filled with all kinds of, of animals, and, and the Lord said, rise, kill, and eat. Some of those things were things that were forbidden in the law of Moses. And Peter says, I'm, I'm not going to eat those things, they're unclean. And the Lord says to him, what I've called now clean, don't you call unclean. And it's during that prayer time, and by the way, when you pray, the Lord talks back. And by the way, prayer is not you convincing the Lord of your will, prayer is you determining His will so you can do it. And so Peter is praying. This exchange happens, and then there's a knock on the door. There are some servants who have come from the house of a Roman centurion. His name is Cornelius, and we find out Cornelius has been praying. At this point, he's not even a, a, a saved man yet. Believes in God, fears God. Not yet saved, but he's praying, and we're encouraged with the fact that God will even respond to the prayers of unsaved individuals who are seeking him. So when the messengers come from Cornelius, Peter's praying. All of it is a response. God responds to the praying. In Acts 16.25, after being arrested and beaten in Philippi, the scripture says, Acts 16, 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas complained about the bad conditions. No, they prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. They're having a praise meeting. They're having a prayer meeting. Everybody in jail's listening. One old black preacher explained it this way. Paul and Silas were singing the melody. 
the angels started singing tenor. And God was so moved, he joined in on the bass. Then the earth shook and them prison doors danced wide open. How did all that happen? It was a prayer meeting. It was a praise meeting. Here's what we discover. Book of Acts begins with prayer, the filling or the control of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that's what the word filling means. You don't get more of the Holy Spirit. When you come to Christ, you get all of the Holy Spirit. The question when we're saved is this, how much of the Holy Spirit are we going to give to Him? Is He going to get all of us? And so here's the application that we see from the book of Acts. It's very simple. Prayer is the pulse of a Spirit-controlled heart. Your prayer life declares how Spirit-controlled you are. When you're presented with the need, your willingness to pray immediately to God about that need demonstrates whether or not you are controlled by the Spirit of God. Same is true with me. Now, I do believe that part of the proof that you and I know the Lord, when it's time to pray, you'll feel a nudge right here. Time to pray. Time to pray. And when you feel that nudge, if the circumstances may not be such that you can stop to pray. But most of the time, those circumstances are, you can stop to pray. Right there. By the way, Paul and Silas weren't concerned about whether the prisoners were going to hear this. They just prayed. You say, well, I'm in the middle of a crowd of people. Pray. Let them listen in. Prayer is the pulse of a spirit-controlled heart. I would then say prayer is the pulse of a spirit-controlled church. And not only did the church in Acts pray habitually. Here's what else we see. The early church prayed humbly. I noted as the choir sang this morning, Pastor Ned, that part of the, word, the words, the, the lyrics of that song that they sang you uh, choir members talked about bowing and kneeling. God's trying to tell us something this morning. The early church prayed humbly. Now here's the proof. Again, see if you can recognize this pattern in how they prayed. Acts 7 and verse 60. Now this is Stephen. He has preached to the Sanhedrin and conviction can bring various responses. People can get right or they can get angry. In this case, they're smitten in their hearts. They drag Stephen out of the city and they stone him. But notice what happens, Acts 7 and verse 60. And he, Stephen, kneeled down. Now, this was not because he's trying to protect himself from stones. He kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he said this, he fell asleep. I personally believe that Stephen's pattern, along with the church, was when they prayed, if they could, they kneeled. Look at Acts 9 and verse 40. 
But Peter put them all forth. This is after Tabitha had died. He put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed. And turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Now, I, I love seeing the humor in Scripture. It's as if Tabitha was taking a nap and she just wakes up. Now, she had been dead. But she wakes up and looks over. It's like, what's Peter doing here? That's, that's what the text is in. What's he doing here? Peter kneeled. Look at Acts 20, verse 36. This is Peter with the Ephesian elders. When he had thus spoken, when he said those things to them at their last time of being together, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. Turn over to Acts 21 and verse 5. And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. This is Peter, on his, or Paul rather, I'm sorry, on his way back to Jerusalem. He's being warned every time he stops someplace, don't go, don't go. He meets with this group of believers. He said, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city. And remember, what this is indicating, this is a church meeting. Everybody's come out to say goodbye to Paul. And we, even you children, young people, we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. Thus, again, confirming wherever they were, whatever they were doing, they were praying, but the early church prayed humbly. Now, let me ask the question again. What did they do when they prayed? Help me. They kneeled. Good. They kneeled. Now, we serve a practical God who has told us to pray without ceasing. You can't kneel all the time when you're praying. Okay? If you're driving around Hampton, Hampton Road, you need to have your eyes open, but you need to be praying. I've gotten behind drivers. I think their eyes must be closed and they may be praying. If you're sitting at a table in the restaurant, well, it's not practical for everybody to get out, uh, you know, block people moving around and pray. It's, it's not what the Lord is indicating. By the way, some physically, if you got down, you kneel to pray, you'd have to have help getting back up, okay? That's, that's just the reality. I'm not trying to be silly with that, but but you may not be able to kneel and pray. The Lord understands that. However, here's the point. Your heart should be bowed down every time you pray. And when you can, you can demonstrate your bowed heart by kneeling. Remember, as a child, I used to think, well, where in the Bible does God tell me to kneel? Well, I did find it, by the way. It's right here. But I had a, a conscience about that. At the same time, I was missing the point. A bowed head, a bowed heart is illustrated by bowed knees. 
Oh, by the way, when we all get to heaven before the throne, you won't be bowing. You'll be face down completely on your face before God. And we'll desire to do that. What's that demonstrating? Who he is in, in light of who he is, who we are. So when we kneel, it's letting God know that we are bowing to his will. Prayer is not convincing God of our will. It's letting God inform us about his will. And we should, in our hearts, and if we can, by our very posture, say, Lord, I am bowed to your will. Not my will, but thine be done. Is that not what Jesus prayed in the garden? Luke 22, verse 42. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Matthew 7, 7. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. The question needs to be asked, what are we seeking? When we have needs, it's okay to pray for those needs. By praying for those needs, we are admitting, Lord, I can't take care of this, but I believe you can. We need to keep that mindset. Not, okay, Lord, I gave you 24 hours, now I'm going to my credit card. No, that's, that's not seeking. It's not knocking. Uh, but... It's okay to pray for our needs. As we go to the Lord, though, we need to be thinking about what does, what does God need from me? Just a couple reminders about how important humility is when we pray. Realize this. First, only the humble will pray. Only the humble will pray. Realize that your lack of praying, my lack of praying, is saying, God, I got this. You know what that is? That's pride. Because without him, I can do nothing. So a lack of prayer is a declaration of independence. It's a declaration of self-sufficiency. I can take care of this. And proof of that as well is when we pray because things are spiraling out of control, something, we get a, a report on our health or, or we get a bill that we can't pay for and, and oh, now we pray. And, and what's happening in our mind? Well, this is, this is too big for me. I can handle these things, but this is too big for me. No, 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 I can't handle anything apart from God. Only the humble will pray. My time spent in prayer reveals how much I think I need God. And my prayerlessness is self-sufficiency. Not only that, and by the way, I understand you look at that and you think, well, the lost pray, religious people pray. Okay, well, we're putting it in the context of those who know God and really are able to talk to God. Only the humble will pray. But notice, only the humble can really pray. Again, for sake of time, we're not going to turn over to Luke 18, but in verses 10 to 14, you have two men that go up to the temple where the church met later to pray, but these men go up to the temple to pray. One is a publican, he's a tax collector, the other is a Pharisee. 
Now remember in that story, both are sinners. Both desperately need God for everything. But the Pharisee, he gets up there and he starts praying, Lord, I'm, I'm glad I'm this and this and this. And, and he's, he's boasting before God and he says, and oh, and I'm glad I'm not like this publican. Can you imagine that? But the Bible tells us that the publican won't even lift his head to heaven. He won't even look up. What does that tell us about heart? He won't even look up and he, he tells God, I'm a sinner. And, the, and, and you can read the prayer there and the Bible tells us, this is Jesus' assessment of those two guys praying. The Bible says one of those guys got heard. And he went back to his house, and here's the word that the Lord used, justified, God declared him righteous. Wow. Wow. The issue, though, is God didn't even hear the Pharisee when he prayed. God knew he was praying because God is all-knowing, but he didn't hear the prayer. So the early church prayed habitually. The early church prayed humbly. God says, I'll keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on me. I need to be praying always. I need to be focused on God. I need to be ever ready to talk to God. I need to be always praising God. We get into so much trouble when we take our eyes off of the Lord and we put them on something else or someone else. How do I, how do I stay focused on God? Just keep talking to Him and do it humbly. Finally, the early church prayed heartily or from the heart. The early church prayed heartily from the heart. Here's an example. Peter is imprisoned by Herod. And in Acts 12 and verse 5, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made. And the Greek here is, Prayer was made earnestly, without ceasing, of the church unto God for him. And the Bible tells us where they were meeting. They were meeting in the home, Mary, John, Mark's mother. That's where the prayer meeting was happening. And verse 12 says, many were gathered together praying. There was a great multitude there, probably filling this house, praying to the Lord for Peter. By the way, in verse 12, and, and what the Greek does here uh, indicates that the praying apparently had been going on all night by a large number of people. And what did God do? Young people, this was, this was, one, of, this was one of my favorite texts in the Bible when I was growing up, and it still is. Peter is between two soldiers. He's chained to them. And Peter is so worried and worked up about what's going to happen. Herod's already killed James. What's he going to do with Peter? Herod saw that that made everybody happy. He's going to kill Peter. It's going to happen the next day. And so Peter's wringing his hands. No, he's fast asleep. He's, he's chained there. And an angel comes over and the shackles just fall right off. Peter's still sleeping. The angel has to nudge him. 
wakes him up. Peter, come on, come on. Peter gets up, okay? I think he might have done He starts following the angel out. And by the way, this is the first automatic door in the Bible. No, it's the second. Noah's door was the first one when God closed that. Here's the second one. They walk up to the door and Peter walks out in the street with the angel and the angel vanishes. Here's what's interesting. Peter knew right where to go. How would he know that? Because he was part of a praying church and he knew where they met to pray. And so he goes to this house where they're praying and he knocks on the door. Now I'm going to encourage you with something because this is a conviction to me. But he knocks on the door. They send a teenager to open the door. Everybody's praying. Rhoda comes, opens the door, and it's Peter. Now, this is in the Greek. You don't read it. Ah! No, that's not what she did. Okay. It's Peter. But this is what she does. Wow! Slams the door. Peter's like, really? Runs back in. Hey, everybody! Peter's at the door. Now, this is so typical of Christians. We're having a prayer meeting. We're asking God to work, and when he does, we're shocked. Peter's at the door. No, honey, you've seen a ghost. What? And she, she Peter's knocking. Hey, hey, some point here, they're going to realize I'm not in jail anymore. That man. They open the door. He comes in. They're rejoicing. Do you know what? It's not the amount of faith that you have. It's where you place your faith. They were placing their faith in God. It was little faith. They were surprised. The fact that they kneeled to pray in that house, that was faith. They're trusting the Lord. It's not great faith, but they're trusting the Lord. Did God answer? Mightily he answered. Now, Again, we see from the text here that they prayed earnestly. It was in their heart. Paul demonstrated a heart for prayer in his ministry. 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10. He says to those believers, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face. Can you hear the longing that he has? And might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. He expressed the same thing earnestly as he, he expressed the same prayer earnestly, he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 3. Now, folks, your desire to pray even is not from you. Your desire to pray comes from the Holy Spirit who indwells you if you're saved. That desire in you was, in fact, the fulfillment of prophecy. When we look at Zechariah 12 and verse 10, the Lord predicted through that prophet, and then it was fulfilled when Christ died and at Pentecost. Listen to the verse. He says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. So when they gather together to pray as believers who had put their faith in the death of Christ and his resurrection, 
shed blood and then rising from the grave, when they put their trust there, when they received the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gave to them this spirit of grace and supplication. We have it too. Which is why when we hear messages on prayer, and even as you're listening this morning, I believe the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart. You have that spirit because to will is present with you. God did that. Now, how to perform? You're going to have to yield to him. You're going to need grace enablement to pray. So here's the application for us. It's our duty to pray. The Lord commanded it. We should have the discipline to pray. The Lord and the early church demonstrated it. By the way, if you don't set aside time to pray, you won't. You set aside time to do all the other things you think are important. Yes? Okay. So how much time do you set aside to pray because you are declaring how important you think that is? But most importantly, it should be our delight to pray. Now again, duty and discipline can help get us here in our praying where we delight to pray, but God delights to hear us pray. And he wants it to be our delight. Garrett and I were talking as we were coming back yesterday, and I just shared my father's heart with him. I said, son, it delights the heart of a, of a dad. And again, I'm trying to be a good dad. Some dads don't want to hear what their kids have to say. That's a bad dad. But a dad who loves his children, a dad delights to hear his children talk to him. A perfect father delights to hear his children talk to him. Well, I'm concerned about how I say it. Stop. Not one time do I ever remember my dad saying, Son, restate that. You didn't state that right. Now, there were some times I asked some pretty dumb questions, and my dad said, You want to ask that again? We're not talking about that. But when we come to the Lord and we want to talk to him, he delights to hear us. And it ought to be our delight to be heard. The Lord through the Spirit gives us the desire to pray as they did in Acts. Are you disciplined with time in prayer so God can grow it into a delight? And will you delight to talk to God? As we close, Andrew Murray said this, We know the Lord has become a stranger in the church when prayer becomes a task. When somebody calls a prayer meeting, what goes through your mind? Now we all know this is a pretty evident thing. A spirit-controlled church is a praying church. But all you have to do is watch who shows up for the prayer meeting and who shows up for the food meeting. We're going to have a fellowship. Everybody bring a dish. Well, everybody wants to be there for that. Wednesday night, we're going to have a prayer meeting. 
uh, pretty busy this week. Really? Really? Now, you wouldn't say that. You just don't show up. Men's prayer breakfast. Well, I don't like the food. See, What's the food got to do with anything? It's a prayer meeting. And we ought to be calling prayer meetings in our homes. Get a burden, burden for someone. Hey, let's, honey, let's have some people over. We need to pray. May our prayer life be what the prayer life of the early church was. Amen? Because Jesus said, I'll build my church. And he builds his church on the wings of prayer. Father, thank you for the truth from your word. Thank you for the narrative in the book of Acts that helps us see how the church prayed. Lord, what a testimony they are to us. We all long to see your power as it was demonstrated in the book of Acts. But sometimes we fail to make the connection that a praying church gets to see the power of God. Lord, in this, our 50th year, would you help us, please, to be a praying church? And Lord, would you help me, our pastoral staff, our leaders here, Lord, help us to lead out in prayer. God, would you cause each of us to delight in all your ways, but especially to pray. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.